Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I am speaking to Joanna Candle, CEO and founder of the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness, based in the USA. The Alliance is a national non-profit organisation dedicated to the outreach, education, early intervention, support and advocacy for all eating disorders. After recovering from a 10-year-long battle with various eating disorders, Joanna founded the Alliance in October 2000. In addition, she runs free weekly support groups, mentors individuals with eating disorders and their families, and helps thousands of people gain information and find the help they need. As a passionate advocate for mental health and eating disorders legislation, Joanna has spent a lot of time meeting with numerous members of Congress and was part of the first ever Eating Disorders Roundtable at the White House. Joanna is a proud member of the Department of Health and Human Services, the Interdepartmental Serious Mental Illness Coordinating Committee, on the Board of Directors for the Eating Disorders Coalition and a member of the Eating Disorders Leadership Summit. She has received many awards for her ongoing outreach and advocacy work and has appeared on national television programmes and profiled in the New York Times, Cosmopolitan magazine and Glamour magazine. Joanna's book, Life Beyond Your Eating Disorder, was released by Harlequin Nonfiction in September 2010. I'm so looking forward to speaking to Joanna today, not only to understand her personal recovery story, but also to explore the work of the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness and to understand her thoughts in policy and treatment for all eating disorders. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Good morning, Harriet. It is so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Oh, thank you. So Joanna, please could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Joanna Candell. I am the founder and CEO of the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness. We are the leading national nonprofit organization in the U.S. that provides everything from education to referrals to support for all humans experiencing eating disorders. Okay, lovely. Thank you. So Joanna, I know you sort of come to work in this field a lot from your own experience and having walked your own journey. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that journey and how you came to do what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really believe in in the sentiment that if you go through something, you have two choices in life. You can either close the door and walk away and never talk about it again, which is absolutely fine. Or you can use it to make a difference in other people's lives. And that was definitely the journey that that I decided to go on. So I am someone of lived experience. I experienced an eating disorder for over a decade. I actually, you know, for me, when when, when you look at my story, you really need to look at, at my history because we know that eating disorders are biopsychosocial illnesses. We know that they run in families and that they are a combination of genetics, of co-occurrent, you know, other mood disorders of life, of the community. So for me, so eating disorders did run in my family. My mother is one of seven children, three brothers, three sisters. Two out of three sisters had eating disorders. My father has one sister as well. 
she also had an eating disorder. So as far as genetics, you can say I was pretty screwed from the get-go. But we also know that genes don't necessarily cause things to happen. They just, you know, load that proverbial gun. My father is also a Holocaust survivor. So I do have some extreme transgenerational trauma. And, you know, when I was born, my parents are, are native to France. They moved to the U.S. They had me. And they wanted to give me every opportunity that they never had growing up. I am a first-generation American. I'm a first-generation to go to college. And, you know, with that came a lot of pressure. My father also experiences OCD and perfectionism. So out of his way of love, he just wanted me to be the best I could be. I also struggled with anxiety for as long as I can remember. And for me, it showed up as being that very shy kid. I used to hide behind my, my, my parents' you know, legs and peek out when I would go places, meet people. And then at the age of three, as a way to make me stop walking with my, my toes pointed and I was pigeon-toed, my parents put me in ballet class and I fell in love with ballet. It was my world. And I would then go on to become a professional ballet dancer. But you can only imagine that perfect storm of genetics and trauma (laughs) and life that just came together to create what then became an almost lethal eating disorder for me. Mm. Question is so interesting. And I mean, thank you for sharing, because I think it seems that you probably just did have quite a sort of toxic mix of things coming together, didn't you? which, you know, obviously kind of has, has, you know, contributed to the development of eating disorders. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, the proverbial trigger pull, if you will, is I was 11 and a half years old and, you know, I had, I was on a professional track in, in my ballet career and I had an opportunity to audition for a professional company's production of The Nutcracker. And, You know, the artistic director of our conservatory came in and and she told us all about this amazing opportunity. And then she ended that caveat, but with the, but we need you all to lose weight before the audition. And, you know, I was significantly younger than a majority of, of the other women that I was, I was training with. And I know she wasn't talking to me, but for me, that perfectionism, that win at all cost, that, you know, almost athletes mentality, if you will, said, you will do whatever you have to do to succeed. And so I remember that night actually getting into a car with my mom and looking at her and saying, mom, I'm going to go on a healthy food diet. And I, I didn't really know what I meant by that, but I know that like at that time it was the late eighties, early nineties, and everything was fat free and it was all about aerobics. And, you know, I remember telling my mom, well, I'm going to eat fruits and vegetables. And at the time I remember my mom being so happy because I wasn't a a vegetable eater. And I think even now being, being a parent now, if, and having a child who will not eat a single vegetable, if she turned around and said, I'm going to eat vegetables, it would be a cause for celebration. And so, you know, not knowing that this could ever be an issue or a possibility, because even though, you know, with her lived experience through her siblings, she never overtly saw it. And, and I think that that's very important for me to share with yeah. whoever's listening to this is that it's not like this was a learned behavior. It's not like I saw my aunts engaging in eating disorder symptomatology and I learned it. I had no idea that they had eating disorders. And so, mm. you know, for me, my experience with developing an eating disorder is akin to that amazing quote, you know, the path to hell is filled with good intentions. And mm. I never woke up one day and I live in South Florida and looked out the window and said, it's a beautiful day in, in sunny Palm Beach, Florida. I think I'm going to have anorexia nervosa today. 
Mm. That never happened. And yet, as I would learn in my experience with eating disorders is for a very long time, honestly, that's how I was treated, that this was a disorder of choice. If I really wanted to get better, I could. I just needed to nourish myself or stop, you know, binging or stop purging. But yeah, for me, I, I fell into negative energy balance when I was about 11 and a half and my eating disorder continued until I was about 21. And I consider myself a very non-discriminatory eating disorder human. And what I mean by that is I didn't just experience one type of eating disorder. I, I mm. pretty much vacillated between, between several of them. And I have to share with you at the root of it, when I peeled back the layers, it was all maladaptive coping mechanisms. It's how I maladaptively coped with my depression, my anxiety, my perfectionism, my black or white, being so fearful I wouldn't, you know, having fear that I, I wouldn't be the best or I wouldn't fit in, and being able to control something in my life, even though what I would down the road come to learn is that, you know, my eating disorder never gave me control. It was actually my eating disorder that was controlling me. Mm. And I thank you for sharing. And I think, you know, you're so right that it's often, it seems all about the food, doesn't it? And all about the weight, but actually peeling back the layers, there's often much deeper issues going on. And like you say, a maladaptive sort of coping strategy, but one's often in survival, aren't you? Kind of, it's not something that's a choice, you know, something you often sort of fall into and, and don't even realize you're there until you're in a very dark place. Yeah. I often say, you know, I mean, my eating disorder saved me at a time where I needed to be saved. And I, I don't want to give eating disorders any more credit than, you know, than, because I mean, it, it also nearly killed me and it, in the US alone, it kills someone every 52 minutes. And so I always waver from trying to give eating disorders any credit, but there was a function. It played a function in my life. It was a coping skill. It was a very unhealthy and very maladaptive, but it was a coping mm. skill. It was, it came into my life at a time and was a life raft of sorts, almost like a floaty, like that kids wear in the pool. Yeah. But unfortunately, what happens with eating disorders, which I pretty much believe with other addictions across the board is that what kept you afloat is going to be the thing that's going to cause you to sink, unfortunately. So it was there for a function of reason, but that reason really didn't last very long. And I was in the fight of my life for the next, for the next decade. Mm, sure. So at what stage, Ina, did you get help for your eating disorder? Yeah. So I actually had to stop dancing when I was 19 years old. I was dancing with a professional company and, you know, I had at that point vacillated between binge eating disorder and anorexia nervosa. And I'm sure you can understand the perils of being a classical ballet dancer and the expectations on one's body as well for that. And so I had moved out of my house. My mother came to see me in, a, in my first performance. And when she saw me, you know, she was like, this can't continue. So her and my doctor thought that, you know, if we took the ballet out of the mix, then maybe the eating disorder would go away. And I have to, to share with you that there was part of me that really believed that as well. I thought if I didn't have to wear pink tights and a black leotard and stare at myself in a mirror day in and day out, then mm. maybe my, my eating disorder would just evaporate. Because at that point, I didn't know everything I know now. I didn't know 
like the layers and layers that my eating disorder had. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. when I stopped dancing, which was my reason for living a majority of the time, you know, I started dancing when I was three. It was my identity. It was who I was, why I woke up every morning. In fact, you know, I remember being, I want to say like 11 or 12 years old and saying, if I can't dance, I don't want to live. And, and, you know, that's how much Mm -hmm. ballet meant to me. And then all of a sudden, my first love was taken away from me and I was very lost. Like, who was I? What do I like? What do I do? And the only thing that I knew just as much about than my ballet was my eating disorder. And so I had this loss of identity at the same time of, well, if I ever get better, what I would love to do is help others because I know I'm not the first and I know I'm not going to be the last. And so I enrolled at a local university in the city that I was living in. And I remember going to the person who was in charge of admissions and I said, I'm recovering from an eating disorder. So I may have lied just a little bit with that, but I will recover. And one day I want to help others. And he let me in and he admitted me to the university. And I started to use school the same way that I used food or didn't use food. I took an exorbitant amount of classes every semester because if I was not focusing what was going on in my head. If I was focusing on classes and homework and research and that, I didn't have to be in my head. And it was my last semester, towards my last semester, excuse me, of my undergraduate degree. And I wanted to go on to graduate school and become a psychologist that specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. And I came to the point where I was just engaging in so many eating disorder behaviors. I was you know, restricting all day and, and binging at night and in this very toxic cycle that I literally had this moment where my fear of changing was a little bit less than my desire to stay where I was. And Mm. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I picked up the phone and I called my parents. And and at this point I had never had any professional help. And I had, it's truly a miracle that I had survived as long as I did. And, Mm. you know, one thing about, you know, eating disorders, it's truly Russian roulette, you know, unfortunately, with my personal experience and the job that I do here now at the Alliance, I've learned and known of so many amazing humans that are no longer alive today that have, you know, died as a direct result of their eating disorder. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really just wanted to see what life was because mm-hmm. I didn't, I knew in my heart and I knew in my soul that I wouldn't survive if I continued. And I wish I could tell you that it was a fairy tale story from, from this moment. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. It isn't. Mm. The journey to recovery is not perfect. You don't recover to utopia. You recover to life. Recovery is in sunshine, bunnies, and rainbows. It's filled with great moments. It's filled with really bad moments. And the majority are filled with okay moments. And I will tell you, the first clinician, the first therapist I went to go see was not a specialist in the treatment of eating disorders. She looked at me and and was very kind and said, you know, Joanna, I'm really happy that you're here, but I need to tell you that you're going to be experiencing this for the rest of your life. You're going to have an eating disorder forever. Mm -hmm. And I I remember being 21 years old at the time and looking at her and saying, well, then why am I here? Why am I here? And Mm -hmm. what I needed her to say, whether or not I would experience some type of my eating disorder forever, I really needed her to say, it gets better. It gets better. Mm. We need to give individuals that are in the fight of their life and their loved ones hope, hope for recovery, Mm. hope for amelioration, hope for remission. And so I Mm. left and I felt 
so terrible. And I felt, you know, I just continued to engage in behaviors. And, and then a few months later, that burn, that, that fire came back to me. And I found someone who, who worked with eating disorders. And that's when my real recovery started. And like I said, it was one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And it was very messy. And it was the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. But I now consider myself recovered. I've successfully lived my life beyond my eating disorder for the past two decades. So for 21 years, my eating disorder is no longer a part of the negotiating table. It's no, not a part of the, the, the dinner table. I do talk about eating disorders about <laughs> 10 hours a day, but it is, it's a different dynamic. It's a different experience. And for me, that was really what, going back to your initial question, that's why I founded the organization, the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness, in October of 2000. And we're starting to, we're coming up on the organization's 21st birthday. And, you know, I have to tell you, Harriet, it's literally become my passion, my reason why I get up every morning, because, you know, I really think that my experience, I experienced what I did as a catalyst or as an opportunity to be able to give back and make a difference in other people's lives. Mm. It's a really inspiring story, Joanna. And I think so helpful to share as well about how you almost kind of hit that point, didn't you? Like where you said you were sort of almost sick and tired of being sick and tired. And sometimes we just have to hit that rock bottom, don't we? I think before you can kind of make a change and go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have this amazingly wise human that's in my support groups that said to me one day, she said, my rock bottom is when I stop digging. And I listened to that and I went, you know, I think life gives us these signs or these moments where it's, it's these, these versions of, you know, rock bottom. And yet there are some of us, me included, that turns around and says, well, it's not going to last forever. And I'm not that bad. And it's not that terrible. It's almost as if I am the exception to the rule for how sick I got or that I don't deserve recovery or that I cannot recover. And so it was really learning to put that shovel down and saying, I have no idea what recovery is going to look like. I am scared Mm. out of my mind. I don't even know if it's going to work. And Mm. I can't continue to do what I'm doing right now because, you know, as much as I experience depression and, and still to this day experience anxiety, I need to see something else. I need to try. And so if you're listening is you don't need to hit rock bottom in order to take the step, reach out for help, call mm. for, for resources. Rock bottom can start right now. Lay down the shovel, pick up the phone, go online, do what you need to do because it can start right now. Mm. Yeah, wise words. So Joanna, when you started the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness in October 2000, like what did that look like in the early days? It was an extraordinary party of one. It was just me. <laughs> and I have to tell you, you know, my experience with the Alliance is, is pretty much the opposite of a Cinderella story. I have to tell you, I moved back home because when I called my parents to say, you know, I'm going to start a nonprofit, they were like, what about graduate school? Weren't you become, weren't you going to just become a doctor and specialize in the treatment of eating disorders? And hmm. 
you know, my parents, they are the most incredible humans in the world. And, you know, I have to remind myself that they came from literally nothing. My father, you know, escaped, you know, Nazi France. And my mother Mm -hmm. came from a very, very poor family. There was 12 of them living in a studio apartment. And this idea of, you know, going out and venturing and starting a nonprofit was just not what they, I think, imagined for their for their one and only child. But I made a, a pact that if I didn't make a go of this organization in the first year, I would go to graduate school. I had gotten into graduate school. I, I deferred it for a year. So I put it there as a way to, you know, if I if this doesn't work, I will go, I will move to New York, I will go to school. And I moved back home and I had an, an uncle of mine who had an extra office space in his office. And so I remember it was January 2nd, 20, 2001. And I, I had my little desk that I had gotten at, you know, I think at a garage sale. Mm-hmm. And I was looking out the window and that's how I started. And for the first 10 years of the organization, I was just me and I worked oftentimes up to three jobs to maintain the charity and to do the work that I did. I think at some point my parents gave up on me going to graduate school. They, <laughs> they realized that, that this was my, my life's work. And then I have to tell you that it just, I, it just started growing. And now we are the leading organization in the US. I have 11 full-time staff members, four part-time staff members, and I have 38 support group facilitators across the country. And it's literally, I have to tell you, so many lessons I learned on my journey to recovery have armed me to do the work that I do today, that it's not going to be black or white, that, you know, that there's going to be some really tough moments and some really extraordinary moments. And, you know, what we really do at the organization is we connect people to eating disorder resources, specifically in the United States, but we actually have a pretty robust database across the globe as well. So to nutritionists and counselors and, you know, doctors, as well up to, you know, residential treatment center, inpatient levels of care. We also hold support groups that are all led by therapists. They're free to attend. And before the pandemic, we had 22 support groups across the United States. But, you know, when COVID started, we very quickly pivoted to virtual groups. And it's been such a gift because not only have we had people from every state in the United States, but we've had individuals from 52 countries across the world, with our majority being from the UK. So it's been really, really, really wonderful. It's been a gift to be able to really during a time that has been so difficult for so many people to be there as as a resource, as a support to let them know that they're not alone and that there is a community that's walking next to them. Mm. Yeah, it's been so interesting with the pandemic, hasn't it? Because I think one positive that has come out of it is just sort of opening up support online. And that's just been incredible, hasn't it? The opportunities that have come from that. I mean, you know, I think life is all about these silver linings. And, you know, we know factually that that eating disorders have never been this acute and this rampant. We know it was really interesting before, right before the virus came to stateside to the United States, Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to our clinical director and I said, you know, 
this makes me very, very scared. I said, this has the ingredients to make the perfect recipe for a disaster for individuals with eating disorders, because there's this general unknown, this communal anxiety that everyone has, individuals that have to be you know, physically distanced, socially isolated, you're mm-hmm. stuck in a house, right? And if it's, you know, you're stuck with, for, for individuals that might experience, you know, indi- like eating disorders, like binge eating disorder, they're stuck in a house with possible food that might be triggering for them. And I don't know how it was in, in the UK, but in the US, there was unbelievable food scarcity, food shortages at the beginning, individuals mm-hmm. that were that were hoarding and, you know, putting food in there, you know, and so it was all of these pieces that came together that just made it so much harder. And and what we're seeing now is these, I mean, these rates, these alarming rates of individuals with eating disorders. And yet on the other side of the coin was so beautiful that I think the world came together and said, how can we support one another? How can we reach out to one another during this time? So all of these amazing resources came out like on Instagram, there was that 24-hour meal support that came out that literally dietitians and clinicians from around the globe would be on and doing meal support with people around the world. You know, for sure, our support groups, support groups from, you know, just letting people know that they are not alone. And and I know here, you know, being able to pivot to, you know, therapy sessions online virtually, which I mean, realistically speaking, there was such barriers for so many people to be able to see therapists and dietitians in person anyways before this made it that much more easy or accessible if you will to be able to get resources so definitely mm. some really extraordinarily difficult situations but mm. some beautiful gifts that have come up out of the worst of times yeah and no, so very true so Joanna, can you tell me a bit more as well with your weekly support groups, how do they work? Are they kind of therapy groups or more support groups? And is there like a sort of time length of them or, you know, how how do they work? Yeah, absolutely. So they are support groups, but they are therapist led. So we believe at the organization that, you know, I love the peer to peer support because that is so helpful to, you know, when you're in a space virtual or in person, when someone speaks your language, when someone says something and you don't even have to say a word, but in your mind, you're thinking me too, or, or that's exactly what I'm going through. And we still want to make sure that it is safe where it's not triggering for, for individuals. So we have rules in group, like there's no food talk, no behavior talk, no specific medication talk. So the therapists are there to just ensure the safety. So they're an hour and a half long, they're drop-in. So you can come as often as you want or as little as you want. So for example, we have two support groups that are for individuals that are recovering from eating disorders. So we have one on Monday evenings at seven o'clock PM Eastern Standard Time, but we also have one for our more of our global group, which is on Saturday mornings at 11 AM Eastern Standard Time, which is, I believe, 4 PM UK time. So we have that on, on Mondays and Saturdays. We also have an LGBTQ support group on Wednesday evenings for individuals that are in the queer community to get support. And then we also have a loved ones support group for the, the family and friends of those that are experiencing eating disorders. And like I said, they're an hour and a half long and they're just, I have to tell you, my favorite thing that I do with the Alliance, mm-hmm. it is 
so beautiful to see individuals from around the U.S., around the globe that come together and that support each other and that just, you know, they, they're healing together and they become resources for each other. So it's really been, been wonderful. We are starting to look at going back to in-person groups, but we will absolutely continue our virtual groups as well and do a hybrid of the both. Mm. Well, that's so great to hear. And really interesting that, you know, so many people from the UK have been accessing the groups. I mean, I can really understand why they would. Yeah, it's been so wonderful. And, you know, it's, it's really, I can't even tell you how much it warms my heart to, you know, have someone from, you know, from South Africa, someone from Chile, someone from the UK, someone from the US, and they're all connecting and corresponding and supporting. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, access to care in the United States is so difficult. We have so many issues with our insurance companies, Mm. but it's, so far ahead of other countries around the globe. It's so, Mm. so far. And there are so many people from all these other countries that unfortunately have to come to the US and pay private pay, pay out of pocket in order to access care just because where they live either has no higher levels of care for eating disorders, the wait lists are extraordinary, or they're Mm. not able to to get the care that they so desperately need. And treatment cannot be a luxury. It is not a luxury. Mm. It is a necessity. You cannot will away an eating disorder, just like you cannot will away a broken bone. Mm. I think because, you know, our heads are above the neck, there's this communal understanding, I think with all mental illness, that you should be able to fix yourself, that if you cared about it enough, you could fix yourself. I tried Mm. to fix myself. I tried real hard to fix myself. I tried Mm. to outsmart my eating disorder I couldn't. So for anybody who's out there that's listening, imagine you have to equate this to physical health. It is on par with physical health. You can't mm. whittle away your diabetes. You can't whittle away a broken arm. You cannot mm. just whittle away an eating disorder. Mm. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And I think many people, they you know take months or even years sometimes to develop the eating disorder. So again, the kind of treatment, it takes time, doesn't it? It's not like a kind of quick fix where you can go along for a couple of appointments and off you go into the sunset. It takes time and work, doesn't it? And the right support. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, it's not just as simple as like learning to eat again or learning to, you know, not binge or not purge or not be idiosyncratic with your food because it's eating disorders are about the food, but they're not about the food. The eating disorder is just the tip of the iceberg. It's what you see above the water. When you, you know, put your head in the water and you look at the iceberg, there's that depression, that anxiety, that trauma, that, you know, so much of what's there. And treatment really is peeling back the layers and, you know, Mm -hmm. learning and replacing these maladaptive coping mechanisms with healthy coping tools. And it's going to take time. Absolutely. I'm so happy you said that. Like it will not go away after two, three, two, three sessions. And if your loved Mm. one goes away to like a hospital and comes back, they're not going to come back cured. Mm. That is just, that's just the beginning that gets you to the starting line of it builds that foundation. So it's going Mm. to take time. You have to give yourself permission to give yourself the grace that it is going to be a, it's going to be a journey. Mm, yeah. And I'm so with you there about the permission part. Cause I think that itself is huge sometimes, isn't it? To 
give yourself permission to be able to take the first step. Yeah, without a doubt. And trust me, I'm not saying it's easy. I know I said it before, but I will say it again. Recovery was the hardest thing I ever did, without a doubt. Mm. But it also, it's the best thing I ever did because I get to show up to my life. And and trust me, there's some days where I'm like, Ugh, I'd rather not. And I'm so happy because, and it's not like there's an end chapter. You close the chapter and, and your book is done the chapters continue, your book continues after. And, you know, mm. the one thing that I, I, I just, I always come back to this is I was in a pretty great recovery, you know, living my life beyond my, my eating disorder for, for years and years and years. And, you know, for over 20 years, I was told that I would never be able to have kids because of the effects of my eating disorder. And I'm very, I mean, I'm humbled and grateful and blessed to say that I, over five years ago, I got pregnant out of the blue and Mm. after not being able to for many, many years. And next week, my little girl is turning five. And I have to tell you that when I look in her eyes, it makes it all worth it. And, you know, Mm. whatever your goals are for me, honestly, children were never a goal. You know, I was told at 17, I would never be able to have children. And so for me, it was never a goal. Like, whatever your goals are, whether it is to have a child, to, you know, have a career, to go to university, to, you know, be a parent, to live in a partnership, to get married, whatever it is, you know, just know that that is a possibility that you will trip and fall in your journey to recovery. And it'll get very, very hard. And the trips and falls are not what it's about. It's about picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, and continuing to move forward because that's where recovery happens in the moments where you keep on moving forward. And so, you know, just know that you're not alone in this, that you're not the exception to the rule, that there is no perfect time to recover and that it gets better for sure. Mm. Such inspiring words, Joanna. And, you know, how wonderful as well about your little girl and that she's (laughs) almost five. (laughs) Yeah, it must just be, yes. Just wonderful to experience that. And it sounds like, you know, such a surprise as well. You didn't expect that you would have children. Yeah, no, no, not not at all. In (laughs) fact, I was very much in the team that I don't want children. And then Mm. she came and, you know, I do, you know, I started this work because I wanted to talk to that seventh grade or that, you know, 11 and a half year old girl who didn't feel like she deserves to take space or to be seen or to be heard and then it really it morphed into doing this work for for everyone else and now this work has taken on even more personal meaning to me because i do this work for her and for all the, the little children that are following behind her because eating disorders do affect a lot of people and it's not you know it's not something that's widely talked about unfortunately And I'm willing to have conversations that a lot of people are not because when we have conversations, we smash the stigma and we allow it. We allow people to say, I'm going through this and I need help. Where can I turn for help? Where can I get help? So it's important. We have to do this work. We Mm. just do. Yeah, no, we do. And Joanna, you have a book as well, do you? Life Beyond Your Eating Disorder. Could you tell us a little bit about your book if people might be interested to go and seek that out? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote Life Beyond Your Eating Disorder about 10 years ago, and I got approached to write a book about my story. And, you know, I remember telling the woman who reached out to me, the the editor, I said, well, I'm not going to write a fairy tale Cinderella story because that's really Mm -hmm. all I've read is like, you know, three quarters of the book is this tumultuous experience with eating disorders or substance use or whatever it is. And then they go to treatment and they have this epiphany and then they live happily ever after. And I said, you know, that is not my experience. I had the epiphany and then it was a disaster after. And then it was like, it was messy. And so the book is really, I think the first like two chapters of the book is about my experience. And then the rest of the book is about tools that helped me mm-hmm. and that I learned along the way and that I've learned from other people on my journey as well. And so the book is, is really user-friendly for you know not only individuals that are experiencing the eating disorder, but for loved ones as well, as well as clinicians that work in the treatment of eating disorders. And it's, you know, there's a lot of humor mixed into it. I have a story in there where I actually became addicted to Spanx. I felt like I couldn't not wear them because I needed to be so in control. And so, you know, like this undergarment that would suck me in. And as part of my therapeutic work, I was supposed to burn the Spanx or burn burn the, you know, the restrictive <laughs> undergarments. And I ended up getting inhalant poisoning and ended up in the hospital. And so it's just really funny that like, you know, my underwear nearly killed me as well. So, you know, (laughs) I mean, I think that that humor was also a very big part of my experience as well of my journey to recovery. And not that I'm, I mean that, you know, we should ridicule at all eating disorders, but, but for me having some humor really helped in the journey to recovery and you know, giving myself that opportunity to laugh, which is something I did not do when I was sick with my eating disorder. Mm, yeah, no, I think humor is such an important sort of tonic in life, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, so yeah, so I hope it's it's helpful for for people, you know. And yeah, they'll have to let me know what you think. Mm. So, Joanna, could you tell people as well if they want to find out more about the Alliance for Eating Disorder Awareness or get in touch with you, and where are the best places to seek you out? Yeah, absolutely. So, our website is allianceforeatingdisorder.com. So, allianceforeatingdisorder.com, and it's plural disorders. A lot of people don't put the S and then can't find us, but it's allianceforeatingdisorders.com. And then on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, our handle is Alliance for EDA, Eating Disorders Awareness. So Alliance for EDA. You can find out about our support groups, about like referrals to care. And I also wanted to share as well, this is has not been announced yet, but I do want to share this, that in February, we had a support group marathon. So we had 16 hours of support group after support group after support group for individuals to have one day where it doesn't matter where they are across the world, they could hop into a group at any time. That was such a a great success that on August 21st, which is a Saturday, so Saturday, the 21st of August, we're going to be doing a support group half marathon. So we're going to be doing it from 11 a.m. Eastern time. So I think you all are five hours in front of us. I think it's five or six hours. I can never five hours. So it starts at at 4 p.m. UK time and it'll go for eight hours. And we'll have support groups for individuals that are experiencing eating disorders, for loved ones. We have one that's about, you know, 
some of our facilitators that are that have lived experience that will share their experiences. So please join us. It is free. All of our services here at the Alliance are free. We want to just be a resource. So again, check us out at allianceforeatingdisorders.com. Check us out on social media at Alliance for EDA and save the date for the Saturday, the 21st of August for our support group marathon. Okay, wonderful. Now, thank you for sharing and just such brilliant resources and and free as well. I just think, you know, Joanna, you're doing such amazing work and opening the door for support to so many people. Thank you so much. That means the world. And, you know, I just want to remind everyone that if, if you're listening to this and, you know, you feel like you're never going to get better, that it's for everyone else but me, that we see you and we hear you and that you're not the exception to the rule. Please reach out. Please get help. If you're not able to access care, please get at least some support. And if you're a loved one of someone that's experiencing an eating disorder, please know that recovery is possible and it's happening. And do not lose hope. Hold on to hope for your loved ones until they're, they're able to. And also never forget to fill your cup up as well. Take care mm-hmm. of you so that you can take care of your loved one. But you're not alone and there is help and there is hope and recovery is absolutely, absolutely possible. That's such an inspiring, encouraging and hopeful message. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your story and for just sharing all about the really valuable work you're doing. You're just such an inspiration <laughs> and, you know, I can just feel your passion and energy and enthusiasm. It's really infectious. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Harriet. You have no idea how much your words mean. And and thank you again for allowing me to share time and space with you. And I look forward to staying in touch. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out Joanna's information and more about the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for more support with your relationship with food, do visit my website at theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you'd like to support this podcast, do enroll in my Patreon and more details about that in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps the podcast reach so many more people. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.